Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Hope you are having a wonderful fall so far. Hopefully, you've gotten out and done some hunting. And uh, I'm hoping to get out here the next couple days. I have not had much of a chance to hunt myself, but have been out doing some mentored hunts with both my son and some other people, which has been very rewarding. So uh, today I'm joined by my friend Todd Waldron. Hey, Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you today? Uh, I'm hanging in there. You know, we got uh, we got crazy October snow here in Minnesota which I usually uh, cheer on the first snow of the year. I love it. Uh, I'm a big winter guy. I do a lot of things outdoors. But this one was just a bit too early. And so it bums me out a bit. But uh, how's everything out in New York? Everything is good here. I've been watching the weather. And yeah, it looks like uh, December out there in Minnesota. So it's pretty wild uh, from this vantage point. Life is good here. You know, hunting seasons are opening up. Uh, We have some beautiful weather here today, actually, but um, cold front moving through. It's going to be cool next week, back into good hunting temperatures. So fall is definitely here. Yeah. So have you you gotten out and done much hunting yet? I am just getting ramped up. So I've been out bird hunting, grouse hunting, maybe three or four times uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And that's been great. The the woods have been absolutely spectacular this year with foliage, the best I've seen in years. And so foliage is still pretty dense. It's hard finding birds and seeing them, but I've definitely had some good flushes and it's been a great time. And of course, uh, deer season's ramping up here in the Adirondacks and that's going to occupy our weekends for the next month or so. So it's that time of year. It's pretty great. Yeah, it is. We're we're definitely in the thick of it here. We've got a lot, or probably most of the of the leaves are off the trees, and so that's nice for grouse hunting. And uh, tomorrow, I'm going to head out to western Minnesota and do some pheasant hunting and some duck hunting with a couple friends. And uh, so hopefully, we'll get into some birds. But unfortunately, most of the water for the duck hunting is is frozen over, which is a, a rare thing. So we're going to have to search to figure out where we can find them. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like fun. I hope you have a good time. And it's pretty crazy that the ice is already coming in before Halloween. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's an odd year. But uh, so today, what we're going to talk about is grouse camp. So a few weeks ago, I went to northeastern Wisconsin, Eagle River. Uh, to be part of of an event uh, called Grouse Camp that the Rough Grouse Society puts on. Uh, one of the uh, regional directors uh, by the name of Dave Johnson for Rough Grouse Society puts this event on. I think this is the second year he's done it. And we had almost uh, 100 people there, all socially distanced outdoors, uh, to learn about deer hunting. We had experienced hunters, but also new hunters. And some Wonderful presentations by biologists talking about upland birds, talking about habitat, uh, people then getting out in the field and many people getting their first grouse. 
And so this was a this was a lot of fun to be there and to be part of this event. And it's always great to hear new hunters really talking about the excitement of of these first first events. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna listen to some of those conversations today that I had with these new hunters and some of the experienced hunters who are mentors. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's good. It's going to be good. So, um, why don't we just jump right into this first interview and then, uh, and then we'll chat about it after. Okay. So let's talk. So, uh, but Mark, like before we get into it then, so you had mentioned, uh, to me in a conversation, um, recently that your hunting camp live platform and some of the content was part of grouse camp weekend. Is that right? So how did that go? Yeah, no, it was it was really good. That that was um, that was one of the things that that we talked about there, and that's why I was there. Was uh, the the Upland Bird Hunting Course on HuntingCamp Live was the recommended pre work for this event, and so some of the people had gone in and learned about upland bird hunting and specifically grouse hunting before going there. And what's, what was great about it is you're able to not only learn some of those basics at home, but then go and ask questions of mentors and other experienced hunters and other new hunters at these events. And so, yeah, that's why I was there. And then we had some people sign up for the course who hadn't taken it before when we were there. And uh, so it was a lot of fun, and I think you'll you'll hear the excitement of these these new hunters in here, and, and really what they love about hunting. That's really cool stuff. Uh, it's it's neat to be able to work through that. I know you've been working hard. You've got some great folks um, working with you through Hunting Camp Live on the Upland Course, biologists and foresters like Lee Neitzel and Bailey Peterson, Kyle Daly. So uh, it's really cool that you were uh, an integral part of that for grouse camp and that people could use that. And then, you know, to be able to talk and share and learn all weekend long in such a great community, it's, it's cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. So, well, let's, uh, let's jump into it. Sounds great. Well, uh, Simon, it is, uh, it's great to meet you. We're here at grouse camp. 2020 in northern Wisconsin. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a relatively new hunter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, you sound like you're from Duluth, Superior, maybe? Oh, Fargo. Fargo, oh, yeah. Don't yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, really, I'm from Germany. Okay. I will never get rid of that accent. <laughs> That's good. You shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, how did... Uh, well, t- tell us a little bit about about yourself. How did you end sure. up? Uh, How did you end up here? Well, I, um, I'm a flour milling engineer, so I'm I'm a work in engineering for flour mills and grain grain processing breweries, things like that. And um, I were used to work for a Swiss company, and I um, spent a lot of time in Africa. And I was a little bit over that. I was done with that. I needed to get out of there. How long were you there? On and off, probably four years. Okay, but uh, some time of that in Australia, Russia. So a lot over the place, and I feel, felt like if I wouldn't have find a place to grow some roots, I uh, would have ended up like some of the people I know in that industry. That's not very, you know, positive. Yeah. So um, I told my boss back then, back then I needed to go somewhere, right? I need to go somewhere else, and he gave me three choices. He said Johannesburg, which I was just there. I was like, yeah, okay. Then he said Buenos Aires, 
I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Oh, he's, then he said Minneapolis. I'm like, <laughs> let me Google that. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing that came up was was a bunch of guys on jet skis, not on jet skis, on on snowmobiles, snowmobiles, yeah, going across the lake in the summer. Oh. <laughs> And I'm like, well, there right. you go. Here you go. I, I give that. Must a try. be Explore Minnesota doing their best, <laughs> getting it out there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, so nothing about Mill City came up, huh? Well, you know, my company had a had the North American headquarters back then in Minneapolis, and yeah. obviously Mill City. That makes sense. And eventually, after digging through the internet, I figured that out. And um, gotta get my dog back here. Here, <laughs> gotta get my dog back. And. Um, yeah, no, and then I, that was about 10 years ago. So I came okay. to Minneapolis 10 years ago and stayed and, you know, it was more like a two-year gig, but now I'm here. So at that time, had you ever hunted? No, no. Had you ever thought about hunting? Yes, not thinking about, so there was like driven hunts happening in, in my ho- around my hometown, sure. right? And they used youth to drive often and, you know, I was like participating that once and that was about it. I do you know anybody who boar hunts? I know that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. So I have friends that their family hunts. I have, have personal friends now that are actually hunting quite a bit. So it gets more and more popular in the youth in Germany. Nothing okay. like here. Yeah. But it, it is a thing that happens. And I just was never exposed to it. And it's not really... I think you have to be exposed to it to come into it. But it's also the same thing in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or you expose yourself to it. And that's absolutely. that's the hard step right there. It is, absolutely. So um so what happened then to create that interest? So you had a little bit of interest in it. Yeah. But uh so so you've been now at this point hunting three, four years? No, something? just my second year. Oh second year. Okay. Yeah, so so yeah. my first season was last year. Okay. My Wonderful first official so, season. So talk about that a little bit. Like what uh what motivated yeah. you to to do it well the year before that uh, that's why i say the first official season was last year the year before that um i got invited by one of our suppliers to go to south dakota for for a trip to to hunt pheasants right mm-hmm. and really nice lodge i presume oh, beautiful yeah right? beautiful setting and you get you know they bring you into the field you know everything is just perfect right thunder stick you shoot, stick? You shoot a, <laughs> okay okay you shoot a ton of birds buffalo butte that's what okay called. okay yeah but really nice right yeah and we shot a ton of birds, but at that point, kind of felt a little weird to me. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm just like, because I did, I did research right before I go anywhere. I, I, I'm very much known to do research on everything, and I'm like, how can you shoot that many birds if you're usually just supposed to shoot three a day? <laughs> and then you know the whole preserve thing came up, and I yeah. understood that. And but um, what really got me at that point in time, so that was two years ago, was um, the dogs. Just what, watching yeah. the dogs work, and and we had a wonderful, very wonderful. Um, guide with us which now i went down to him he's in northfield he's a dog trainer down there and he does a lot of his with vets you know he's he's just a great guy and he got me really going on the idea of there's something more behind than just walking behind somebody else's dog and shooting pheasants out of the air right and so i went back home talked to my wife about it and we just you know just keep kept it just kept coming up in in my head right it's like it must be so I kept just YouTubing it, right? And um, I do. I mean, I must have been the second video that the Project Upland video came up, and you know, after you saw that, it was just, just like war propaganda right there, and you just like, <laughs> oh, I want to do that. <laughs> you know? It's a bunch of bunch of guys my age, right? Right. And they look like me, and it's just so much relatable at this point in time. Yeah. yeah. And then we decided to figure out if we 
if the second dog we wanted anyways if that would be a hunting dog and that's that's pretty much how that happened my my boss back then got a got a puppy from that breeder and he told us you know the breeder the breeder um really needs to get rid of the mom because you know she just can't breed her anymore and she doesn't want to keep her and she had a hunt test done so she's she comes from a hunting line and so we went over looked at her and the breeder really liked us um, but she made it she made one thing very clear she said i really like you guys i want you to have shooter but you have to hunt her mm. and i'm like well that's kind of the idea right makes so, makes up your mind for you yeah yeah so then that's well that that was last year in april late april beginning may okay so you've now been out hunting in south dakota you've now got yourself a hunting dog yep. uh which is which is interesting, and I hear that more and more these days of people getting dogs very quickly and early yeah. on if they are attracted to and drawn to the upland bird scene. Um, and so you've got Shooter now, and you're like, okay, I gotta figure out where to go. Yeah, that's when the scary part starts. Yeah, because getting a dog is—I mean, it should be scary enough to begin with, but then what are you going to do, right? I mean, you see all those videos, you need to figure out where the, where are those guys, where are those places they're going and how how they do it. And and it's I think it's fairly easy for, let's say, a 12, 13-year-old suburban kid in the United States to figure out, nah, call their uncle or whatever, you know, or their aunt or whoever hunts in the family and ask them if they can take them hunting, right? And it's not that easy as a 34-year-old from Germany. <laughs> kind of creepy you know hey you take me in the woods <laughs> you me shotguns <laughs> right <laughs> and then also i'm i you just only get that one pers- perspective you know of of how to hunt something right and now that i hunted with quite a bit of people over my last season i see what i like and what i don't like and if i feel like i have a dad or an uncle that only te- teaches me one way for like 10 years straight i would have felt i don't know if that's a good thing necessarily i think that is one of the things that is great about an adult coming to hunting later on is because they can make up their own mind they can they can sample around so to speak Uh, i grew up uh hunting with my dad with my brothers at it from a very young age and like you said yeah i mean that that that's the way you do it, yeah. and you don't really expose yourself to other things. I've done it a lot more as, exactly. as an adult. So you had experienced pheasant hunting in South Dakota. I would say pheasant shooting. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there was a hunt <laughs> okay. involved. Okay, okay, very very good delineation. Yeah. Um, so you were shooting pheasants in South Dakota, and you said, I want to do more of that but a little bit more wild, or I want to try other birds, or what no, was your it thought was, process? it was completely going to the wild part of it. Okay. Too. And, you know, the big connection to me is, is my kitchen. I do cook a lot, mm. and I've always been cooking with whatever wild game I could get my hands on. And in Germany, you can buy it often. And over here, you know, I had, like, friends giving it to me. And, yeah. And I think that was the big, big part of it, because... I was disappointed, to be honest with you. I went, I was done with the hunt. I wasn't disappointed about any of the hunt, really. I should be very grateful of what it was. But we got breasts. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, where I come from, yeah. you know, they'll probably roast the whole bird. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I was just like, man, I really want a whole bird. Yeah. I really want, and I don't need like 40 breasts. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just yeah. want this one bird. And I need to figure out how to find this bird. There must mm-hmm. be a bird somewhere mm-hmm. around my house. I know I see him, right? Yeah. 
And so that's kind of where that kicked off. And then I just needed to figure out how to. So were you drawn to grouse right away or as, as you did your research or, or what? Mm. I don't think so. No, not really. I think um, it kind of opened my eyes. I was more drawn to pheasants. Okay. And I think it's still quite a bit 50-50 game for me. And we can come back to that, why that is the case. But at the beginning, I... Um, I was drawn to pheasants because I knew where they were. Mm-hmm. I kind of figured out they must be west of me. Right? I live, live west of the Twin Cities, so they must be somewhere west of me. Because it's what everybody tells me. All the people I know, they hunt them there. And I'm like, that's not far. right? I can figure that out. I can load the dog up. We go out there. We figure that out. And then once I started watching those YouTube videos, and I figured out, man, there's, there's grouse. They look interesting. <laughs> then there's this super interesting other bird, which like the long beak, this tiny bird. You know, there's so many names for it: the timber doodle, the timber rocket, the wood, the woodcock. You know, and they the live French eat them whole. Yeah, exactly. So do I. <laughs> um, and and then I realized really quick, this is like just around the cabin of my in-laws. Ah. And I'm like, I had no idea. The last three years I've been coming up there, I had no clue what was going on. Right in my backyard. That is a great, a great example. I think of the light bulb going off for a lot of people is they don't realize how they may have been right next to, right in an area that they could hunt, oh, yeah. but they were never aware of it before. Absolutely, and then just the the case of public land in this country. Yeah, it's just just the possibility of walking out your door. Getting into a truck, sometimes not even, and just walking into state forest or walking onto a wildlife management area or WPA, whatever. Yeah. It's, there's nothing like that anywhere else in the world. Right. And uh, people need to start realizing that. We need you to be the poster child to tell people, wake up. It's just. <laughs> realize how good you've got it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and then again, you know, just using those spaces is. Now it's easy. At the beginning, it was weird for me. Coming yeah. from Germany, where yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. such thing as public land, you know? And you're just like, I just walk on this, and then I shoot a bird, <laughs> and this is completely legal. As my friend Land says, we live like kings. Yeah. We are. We are like royalty of other areas of the world, but we're just citizens here, and we have the same yeah. benefits. It's amazing. Absolutely. Isn't yeah. that crazy? It really is. Yeah. So that's kind of how this whole desire got started. And then once I'm into something, and my wife will tell you that that's absolutely the fact, I'm 150% into it. <laughs> so there's a guy. So we did a um, an event a couple of years ago out in Manhattan. And it was, uh, it, was a, it was a public lands discussion, but also talking about urban hunters. Mm-hmm. And uh, the host of this event, we were in Brooklyn, actually. We weren't in Manhattan. We were in Brooklyn. He's a neurologist. He's a surgeon, okay? Yeah. So, obviously, pretty smart guy. Yep. Um, literally doing brain surgery every day. <laughs> and his wife said, he said to me, we were talking before the event, we were sitting down having a beer, and he said, up until like three years ago, I had no clue that this whole world existed. Yeah, same He's here. Like, I, I had no clue. And then his wife harps in, and now that's all he thinks about. He literally does brain <laughs> surgery all day long, and then he goes home at night and does and, and searches YouTube for hunting videos. <laughs> so that's that's. I mean, I haven't I haven't read a book in years. Right, I'm a very visual learner, but yeah. I started reading books. Yeah. Believe me, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, and and they helped. They definitely did, but yeah. 
And here's, here comes the hard part, right? But it doesn't replace somebody teaching you something. Absolutely not. And that is where it gets really, really difficult. Yeah. Okay, so you are you like the idea of pheasants. Yep. Um, you start researching. Yep. What happens next? So I've been starting... I listened to podcasts before, not not that 100% serious like that, but um, I do woodworking, so podcasts woodworking podcasts were definitely in there and then i decided well there must be there must be an upland hunting podcast right so i stumbled <laughs> over a bunch of them yeah so my my days driving to work and from work were like you know filled with bob sank beer and nick larson and you know all those guys <laughs> and and i felt like i connected to nick the most mainly because he's just my age absolutely and yep. i feel like we have kind of the same ideas of what what hunting is supposed to be like right and what ethics are supposed to be like so i um i messaged him pretty quickly i think and i was very much surprised when he actually messaged back and said oh you know do those things do this because you know i was asking him, like so i have this dog right we need to figure out what to do with that dog now and i think it was june july and um you know we um yeah we kind of figured out what to do and he told me i need to start running the dog on wild birds she she's uh she's got she's the sense of something exactly <laughs> so um yeah so i mean we needed to start figuring out what to do and he said well I'll come come around august you can start running your dog right so on wild birds i'm like really why do we have to wait till august i had no no idea right and he's like well you don't want to interrupt them while they're breeding you know at nesting season and it's like oh that kind of makes sense so then the next thing I did was Googling that, you know. Long story short, um, he found me some places in northern Wisconsin to run on some sharp tails. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And we found him immediately. What what an adrenaline rush. And my wife was with me. And she's like, man, I've never seen that dog react like that. <laughs> so that was awesome. And then um, I started, I think I went to the game what was it, Game Fest? Game Fair. Game Fair. Yeah. And Game I fair, yeah. went up to the DNR booth and just started talking to the guys. It's like, I got this dog. I need yeah. to run him on birds. Yeah. And they're like, all right. Well, yes, you know, just mark me some spots. And super nice people, right? Yeah, they absolutely. T- I told them where I live. And it's like, well, you go to this WMA and just make sure they don't come out with a bird in their mouth. You know, it's not season yet. I'm like, yeah, yes, sir. That's one of the things. I think that is a, another learning um and something that people need to realize, um, we were just talking about that uh, Bailey and uh, yeah. our other friend Lee and I were talking about a few weeks ago, which is if you're going to go hunt an area to call the local biologists, the local foresters, just make a call and, and ask. And, and these people know these places well and are more than happy to help you. And it's a resource that I think, again, similar to public lands, we don't realize. I think we, a lot of people don't realize that we've got these resources. I don't use them enough. You know, I, I make the mistake of just trying to go figure it out on my own. And uh, and there are people who are familiar with areas yeah, and they, are willing they to help. Drive you. them every day. I just did that in North Dakota. I pulled up in a in a waterfall production area, pretty pretty big piece of land, and and I saw a bunch of um, of um, fish and wildlife people sitting there on their truck and the first thing i did I pulled up said hey i'm never hunted sharpies i'm here hunting sharpies <laughs> and she was super nice she said don't go there the p- truck pulled just out they, sh- they shot a bunch okay. so if you want to take a walk go there but if not <laughs> it's like this is where i saw them last two days ago so you go up that way and yeah no kidding i got into birds oh so it, it helps yeah. right it, it absolutely does 
So you reached out to Nick. Yep. Started uh, running your dog. So now it's August, right? It's August, yeah. August, I keep running the dog. I finally start finding finding pheasants. Yeah. Which is uh, such an accomplishment when you actually, now you understand, all right, all, all Bob was talking about, you know, how to find pheasants. Okay, yeah. I finally figured it out. I found pheasants, which retrospective, it was a 40-acre piece of, of Pheasants Forever WMA, which, duh, there are pheasants in there in the off-season. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I found him. <laughs> Western Minnesota, I presume. Yeah, yep, yep, exactly. Yep, okay. Yeah. Yep. And um, so that worked out, and it was about 40 minutes from my house. I kept going to those couple of WMAs, kept running shooter on birds, and she kept figuring out better and better and better. And then, um, you know, eventually grouse season came around, and and I just went out, went on hunter walking trails around Danbury. So that another thing I think Nick pointed me out to was like, hey, walk trails, walk hunter walking trails. He's like, I do that at the beginning too, at the, fir- at the early season, because you just can't really get in to the woods exactly. much. Exactly. And I did that. Ex- explain why, so that everybody understands It's just too why. thick, right? The cover is still up, the leaves are still up, and it's just it's just a nightmare inside. And Absolutely, yeah. And, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the season opens, like we're early season here, a lot of leaves on the trees yeah. still. Make, makes it difficult. Yeah, it's five degrees warmer in there. I feel like it's more humid in there. It's, it's Absolutely. It's hot on you and the dog. Yeah. So I did that for about, I think for a weekend, good three days. I was up there for a weekend and at my at my in-laws' cabin, and um, I flushed, I flushed something. I don't know what it was. I didn't even take a shot at it, and just I kind of got a little. Lo- I lost a little bit of my, of my um, mojo right there, right? Because I flushed all those pheasants, and it was awesome. And now I just like, and it was all new, and I just couldn't figure it out. And it took me three days. I walked every single day, and I just couldn't find any. And I just had no idea what I was looking at, right? So and eventually then, um, I just already signed up for the Rough Cross camp last year okay. at this point in time. And that was the following week. And, and I went up here and the world changed for cross hunting and woodcock hunting. <laughs> well, you get to come to a great area um, and really good people. Yeah. And uh, so that, that is wonderful. Well, it's, it's, it's been fun to, to have a discussion about how you get started with this. And uh, I think we'll have to have you back on the podcast and sure. we'll have, have some more discussion later. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you. Simon. Okay, so that, uh, that was the conversation I had with my new friend Simon Titka. I, I think I pronounced that fairly close. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, Todd? What, what comes to mind as you hear a conversation with a new hunter like that? Oh, Mark, I, I love that conversation. Um, a lot of things come to mind. You know, first off, it's really cool listening to his background and uh, second year hunter, right? Um, traveled, well-traveled from Germany. So it's really cool hearing his perspective in general about our hunting opportunities here. And then like really interesting, you know, conversation about getting in early with a dog, right? So second year, he's right. got a dog. I thought that was really uh, pretty interesting how that intertwines with both the hunting and the whole lifestyle, really. Um, so the importance of having the dog and then like intertwining into the upland hunting opportunities for Simon and his experience was pretty cool. Uh, I thought that it's like, it's reaffirmation of how many cool upland hunting opportunities you have out in Minnesota. Um, like you, you, in that conversation, that quick conversation, you talked about pheasants and that was like an introduction pheasant shooting was an introduction for simon you talked about woodcock and grouse and then sharp tails 
So I think that that's really special what you have out there for somebody from the Northeast like me. It was um, it's pretty cool to think of all those opportunities. Uh, so what are your thoughts after like hearing the conversation again? Uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, fun to to go back and listen because when you're in the thick of it and that was a busy day, uh, I had forgotten some of the things that that we talked about. And uh, one of the things you know I th- I thought was interesting was uh, his his quick understanding and and of what the difference is between uh, hunting preserve hunt and and the truly wild hunt, and and just so those listeners who who are new weren't necessarily following following what he was talking about when he talked about doing a, a pheasant shoot versus a pheasant hunt. Um, you know, he had gone on a first hunt where the birds were, a lot of them were probably released from pen raised situations. And so there was a, an abundance of birds around and they were able to shoot uh, a lot of them. And sometimes, you know, you're able to get lucky and you, you find an abundance in the wild, but not always. And it's, and it's definitely more of a, of a crapshoot on, on whether you're going to, you're going to run into a lot of game or not. And I think it was interesting that he had an appreciation for that wild experience and also how cooking is core to, to him and wanting to, you know, utilize the whole animal, the whole bird in this case. And so those are, those are things that I just, I love hearing with a lot of the new hunters are, are some of the things that, that I think are great perspectives that a lot of the new and younger hunters out there. Those are great perspectives and and they resonate, you know, the, those stories about wanting to connect to the food, the importance of food and wanting to have that experience outdoors with the wild birds that he was talking about. Um, I also love the advice that you two shared about, um, well, a couple of things. One was like, it was interesting to hear him talking about like finding opportunities around where he was looking for places. Right. And then also... I like the idea of uh, making relationships, building relationships with uh, resource professionals in, in the area that you're in, just introductions to biologists or, you know, land managers, people that might have some tips for you. Um, just knowing what's going on on that particular um, WMA, say, or piece of public ground, um, th- that was really pretty solid advice as well. Yeah, you know, that's something, as I think I had mentioned in that conversation, that I myself don't do often enough. And it's something I need to continually remind myself when you head out to a new area and you're going to hunt public lands, there are resource professionals who know these areas of the country and, and will be happy to provide advice to you. And so, you know, that's something good to keep in mind. And and also, I, I loved Simon's perspective on which is something that not everybody's able to have all the time, which is him growing up in Germany. um, He did not have this public land perspective because it's just very different in most areas of the world. And he found it very peculiar that he could just head out to this public land with a shotgun and go hunting and take a bird. And I think that's something that it's great for someone like Simon to remind us how fortunate we are in this country to have all these resources and that they're open to our use and they're that we are responsible to also take care of them. So it was, it was really fun conversation. Really well said there. Yeah. I, I, I love that part as well. And I, 
it just reaffirmed the appreciation that we have here for our public land system and what it takes to keep it in place. Um, sounds like a such a fun conversation there, and I really liked it a lot. And I, one thing I'll add about the wildlife managers or biologists and reaching out to them, if you have the opportunity to build those relationships, maybe during off season, say if you if you do have some ideas of where you might be going um, in times when maybe they're not so busy, like if you have time to contact them, maybe in the summer leading up to hunting season, instead of like right before hunting season. Um, I found that biologists are extremely helpful. They want to reach out to people. They, they're, they welcome the opportunity to get um, communications and they're, they're great resources when they have time to, to be able to talk and email and that's a really good insight f- coming from you, somebody who works with these people all the time. And so uh, really, really good point about doing that before season. So why don't we uh, why don't we jump into our next conversation? And that uh, is I sat down with Gino and Sarah, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one, too. Looking forward to it. So I am here with Sarah and Gino, husband and wife at Grouse Camp 2020. And we met, let's see, when did we meet? This morning. This morning. Way back when. And uh, you went out on a grouse hunt today. We did. Mm -hmm. But maybe tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you reside? Well, we live in Iron Mountain, Michigan, which is a town in the central Upper Peninsula, right on the border with Wisconsin. And how did you get connected in with this? Are you associated with the Ruffed Grouse Society? We have been attending uh, Ruffed Grouse Society banquets in our home city, Iron Mountain, for the past five years. And we've also gone to some events in the immediate area, uh, such as Dunbar, Wisconsin. And Gino actually came to Grouse Camp last year as a volunteer at the request of the regional director, uh, Dave Johnson. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your hunting background. Did you both grow up hunting? Are you adult onset hunters, as we call it? I did not grow up with a hunting background. I started hunting uh, when I was in college at Virginia Tech, way far away from here, started hunting doves, and then I moved to hunting ducks, and then I started hunting elk in Colorado with some friends there. And then when we moved to the UP, that's when I learned of the glory of grouse and woodcock hunting. And it's turned into an obsession. <laughs> no. I actually, st- I'm, an, I'm an adult onset hunter, if you want to think of it that way. I did not pick up a gun or fire a gun until I was 29 when I met Gino when I was living in Pittsburgh. We were both living there at the time we met. He introduced me to hunting by first feeding me uh, wild game, pheasant and elk. And I said, this is delicious. Where can we get more? So he's like, let me show you. So he taught me how to shoot a gun. And then from shooting a twenty-two rifle, it was shooting a shotgun. And then it was shooting pheasants, which in, in Pennsylvania, they're often planted on state game lands. And then when I, when we moved away from Pittsburgh and I took a job in the UP, um, that's when we transition to grouse hunting because there really weren't a whole lot of wild pheasants in the upper peninsula but there were grouse and they are challenging and they are delicious 
So somebody just said a few minutes ago, I believe it was Dave Johnson, said compared to pheasants, grouse are really easy to shoot. Is that the case? Yes. Easy, no. easy to shoot. Oh, mm, maybe, maybe not. I, I agree. It's a they, complicated thing. Right? They are, they are easier to bring down <laughs> yes, than a exactly. pheasant, but they aren't necessarily easier to shoot than I, pheasant. I often say, yeah. It's, I think you just got to scare them to death. I think is, is sometimes what it feels like. One pellet will do yeah, it. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yep. They're Different. very thin hide. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so you move to the UP. You start grouse hunting. You get sort of obsessed with it, as you said, Gino? Yes, you could call it an obsession. Um, we realized we had to have a dog. So no dog up to that point? No. We had talked about having a dog, but when we started actually hunting, we realized that we can't do it so well, just the two of us. We need a dog. Because, yeah, you may be able to find them, but after the shot, you... Good luck finding them after the shot when they're in the thick brush, and the dog is wonderful at it. It does help to have a dog. So, yes, so we turned into dog owner, a dog owner at that point. You know, we went what, did you, what did you get? We got a wonderful pointing lab named Juju. Okay. From a breeder in Stevens Point that specializes in pointing labs. Um, she does point... Pointing labs, yes. yeah, that that is a unique, interesting. It, it, yes, and it, it's a lot of fun to watch her. She, uh, she points grouse, uh, woodcock better than grouse. Okay, but uh, she will point grouse as well. But they're more challenging because they'll walk away, and the dog wants to set the bird. Gotcha. Um, but she she points pheasants for us. She does uh, grouse. She does woodcock, and then we go out and we hunt geese and um, <clears throat> and ducks with her as well. So she's really a great all-around dog, and there's the pleasure of owning a lab, and they're always happy. <laughs> a versatile dog is nice. Yes. I'm, I'm very much a generalist hunter, so I'm, I'm curious, do you uh, do you still hunt waterfall then and, and, and do other types of hunting? You talked about hunting elk out west. Yes. Um, okay. Yes, we've shot a couple of geese already this year in early goose season. My neighbor called me uh in between finishing hunting and coming back here to camp to tell me that uh, he spotted a place where we could go hunt ducks. So we're going tomorrow afternoon to scout uh, a new spot for ducks. Duck season just opened today, I believe, here in Wisconsin, right? Same in Minnesota. And and in Michigan. And in Michigan, okay. So we we gave up the duck opener to be here. Yes, we did. I know. I've got everybody up at my duck camp, and it's it's a very, I've missed it one time in my entire life since Mm -hmm. I was probably eight years old, nine years old. So you get it. It's an obsession. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here and not out there for the opener of ducks. It's because we care about the future of these activities and getting people outside, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, you had somebody hunt with you today. Did you <clears throat> did you see any birds? Yes, we did see about, what, five, six in total? We flushed five, uh, five or six grouse behind Juju, mm-hmm. and then we switched over and used Richard's dog, Amber, Amber and she put up two grouse and one woodcock and did you have one hunter with you or we had two two yep and uh shots fired or they no the uh the two grouse that amber put up 
the two hunters looked and they said, oh, there they go. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I have the gun. We've all done that. Yeah, they're absolutely. like, oh, there, go- there it goes. And you're admiring the bird before you realize that you're the one holding the gun. I'm like, wow, I saw one. It they're, is they're a so, quick they're process. So fast. They're they so are. fast. And oftentimes you hear them before you even look for them. They, they're, they camouflage so well. They don't make any noise until they until they're gone and that's part of the great challenge of hunting them yeah absolutely and and at this time of the year we're here early season a lot of leaves on the trees it's thick out there yes and that is one of the challenges definitely it's it's a challenge but it makes it fun it does because you're coming back it's it's like those that are obsessed with golf they come back because they had that one good shot they come back for more and for the grouse hunter you you had the amazing flush but you never got the shot so you're coming back for that chance to do it over it is extremely beautiful right now too i mean look at these trees i would say the fall colors are pretty much at peak at peak right now it is amazing just look where we're sitting here and it's just between the pines the big white pines the maples etc and the ash and the popples yes every color yeah which is i think a great part of upland hunting I think is one of the really positive things around it as a as a first hunt because it's sort of a pleasant experience even if you don't get a bird right. It it, it is um, the chance to go walking someplace beautiful on you know thousands of acres and not see anybody else. Um, it's there's something really special about that. There really is. I, I probably, I want to say I probably hunt, what, maybe 60, 75 days a year even. Um, I've missed one day so far this season, and I literally will hunt almost every day. And there are many days that I don't don't even pull the trigger, but it's about being out there. It's about the experience. It's about watching the dog. You'll see the migratory geese flying over. The leaves are changing. or It's an early snowfall, and it's just gorgeous to be outside. And it's more about that than killing the birds or putting the birds in the freezer. It's about the experience of being outside. It's that and so much more, you know, which is a good a good segue to a question I wanted to ask your wife, which is what was an interesting thing this morning. You walked in the tent and I saw you wearing your hat. And I said, ah, <laughs> I said, I, I, and I saw you had brush pants on. You yep. had brush pants on. And a cross-country skier hat. And I'm like, that is a rare bird right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, as a skier and as a hunter, always like seeing people who have that crossover. So both of you are adult-onset hunters. Mm -hmm. um, But you also, like, you're a skier. So maybe talk about how those those parts of your life, you know, come together. Well, they're both you get to spend time outside and you know cross-country skiing is one of those so-called silent sports where there's really not spectators or you know big huge events I mean the the Berkey notwithstanding and stuff but you know it's just like you go out and go hunting you know you can take your skis and you can go ski around the golf course or ski in the park or heck you can ski in these same trails that you hunt on actually in fact one of our favorite trails to hunt near Iron Mountain is a is a DNR ski pathway, even though they don't maintain it as such. 
but um, actually I was an outdoor athlete long before I was a hunter. I ran cross country in high school, I ran cross country in college and track and field, and I always loved to run in the woods because it never got boring, even if you did the same route every week. You know, it, it would always, just like going hunting with the dog now, the leaves change, the weather changes, you know, the scenery changes, so it's always interesting. So it was a natural segue. I always loved being in the woods, but now there was a new activity I could do in the woods. Right. I could go out in the woods, enjoy my time outside, and get dinner. So, so one of the things I talk about a lot of times is, the difference between hunting and fishing and a lot of the other activities that I love also is I think the differentiation is you're more of an observer of the outdoors in the other activities. And when you hunt and fish, you're a participant. You're a participant in really understanding what's going on and really evaluating rather than just seeing the the beautiful scenery, but are going, okay, I'm, I'm reading the sign. I'm understanding what these animals are doing. And you become part of it at a deeper level. Do you think, do you think that, does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. Yes. You look at the woods a different way when you're a hunter. You look for different things. You, you listen. Back when I was a runner, I always had, to, it was a Walkman at the time, but of course now it's like an iPod or Heck, I don't even know what people even use. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't run with music anymore, but because I want to listen and I want to hear what's going on around me, and you really be part of part of the world and part of the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably a great way to explain the being plugged into the environment <clears throat> is the duck hunting, because in its own way, it's challenging because you have to be in the right spot with the wind. You have to have the decoys set up that that are convincing. You have to call the ducks in a convincing way. And you have to be be there, be listening, be watching, and not uh, scare them with the movement. So it's really being part of that. And those are easy things to imagine or to, you know, to clearly put your finger on for being duck duck hunting and being in the environment and part of the experience. Uh, where with grouse hunting, it's more nuanced. With woodcock hunting, it's more nuanced. You're looking for the signs, you're listening, you're watching the dog work, you're looking for the right age or the right type of trees that they're going to be in. But, you know, the easy thing for people to put their finger on to be, how do I plug in or how does it matter when you're thinking about the decoys, the calls, the wind, whatever, those are easy things where people can look at it and they can say, well, I, I can understand that. That's how you have to, you're more than just the observer. You have to figure it out. You have to be part of the environment. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, and, and I think uh, going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, it's an enjoyable experience whether you fill the freezer or not. I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down for a few minutes and chatting about the day and uh, and about your background hunting. And uh, I hope we can we can do it again sometime. Yes, thank you for inviting us. It was a good time. Thanks. Thank you. We had a wonderful time today. So that was the conversation with Gino and Sarah Vendetti. Uh, really great couple. I I always find it interesting to talk with couples who hunt together 
And I think they hunt alone or separately too, but it's definitely a part of their lifestyle, which is really cool to hear their stories. I really enjoyed it too. And similarly, I enjoy listening to couples tell their stories as well. This is a great conversation, Mark. You have a couple of adult hunters here. Um, You know, I really enjoyed the part, just kind of the theme of upland hunting. Um, When you were talking about the the reasons they love being outside, great time of year, hearing the geese outside, you know, in the grouse woods. um, Those are all great reasons why adults might choose upland hunting as a first hunting opportunity. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, similar to Simon and and a lot of others, the food being the starting point for discussion where Gino, you know, served Sarah, they're dating and living in Pittsburgh, I think. And he serves her, uh, elk and she's says, how do we get more of this? Mm -hmm. And he says, let me show you how. (laughs) And, uh, and, and now, I mean, it's just like, they are, they're pretty hardcore. And, and I think just their overall outdoor lifestyle. And that's something that, you know, I think for you and I is, is very similar where we have a lifestyle that is centered around all these outdoor activities every season of the year. And so like Sarah is, uh, you know, hunting trails for grouse in the fall. And then in the wintertime, she's cross country skiing those exact same trails. And so, you know, and then, and then Gino talks about how, you know, he's out, my gosh, 60 to 75 days a year. Wouldn't, I wish I could do that. That just sounds incredible. And, but, but he's also not obsessed with like filling the freezer, you know, where, where it's just like, Hey, it's just who I am. I need to be out in the woods. And, uh, and you know, a lot of the times you don't, you don't come home with anything, but it's, that's not the only point. That's not the only point. I, I really like that um, perspective as well about the crossover, specifically with adults who are coming into hunting. Chances are they have other outdoor passions, you know, so maybe it's maybe it's skiing and cross country running like Sarah. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's rafting or paddling. But, uh, you know, building off of where they're coming from and engaging those communities and, and thinking in terms of hunting as an opportunity for somebody that's already curious about the outdoors to experience it in a participatory kind of way, in a way that they haven't yet, um, all in kind of context with the food. You know, I think that that's really, I think it's a big opportunity for us when we're thinking about um, communities to engage with and taking steps back um, and just, you know, connecting with people where they're coming from and the things, all the things that they enjoy about being in the outdoors. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, why don't we move on to the next one? I think we're going to listen in on the conversation with Britton and his father-in-law and how he got his father-in-law into hunting. Yeah, I can't wait for this conversation. This sounds like fun. We're here Uh, at uh, Grouse Camp 2020, and I'm joined by a couple gentlemen. I'd like them to introduce themselves. Why don't we start? Actually, you know what? Let's start here. I'm Britton Sievert. Uh, been hunting now for about 10 or 15 years. Started with my grandfather. Great. So Britton, and uh, who do you have with you? This is my uh, father-in-law. Uh, I'm John Weisinger. I've been hunting maybe about five years now, and I picked it up when Britton got engaged to my daughter. I love this story. <laughs> when you guys tell me this earlier. <laughs> 
So, John, um, tell me a little bit about that. Your daughter, how did she meet this guy? Uh, they went to high school together, uh, went college, different directions, but still were close enough that they could visit. And uh, lo and behold, things just happened. That is great. Okay, so Britain, you st- when when did you get this idea of wanting to learn to hunt? Oh, it was never really my idea, honestly. Um, I come from a family. I'm the youngest of five boys. Okay. Uh, grandfather's from Southwest Wisconsin. Uh, when he taught my dad, so his it was my dad's father-in-law taught him, brought all, all us up. I started hunting when I was probably ten. Was out in the field by when I was about seven or eight. So start out deer hunting, and it's just kind of progressed ever since then. Progressed ever since. And uh, so you got married. Yep. To this gentleman's daughter. Yes. Yes, I did. And uh, he had never hunted before. That's correct. So, John, how did Britain, like, uh, approach you on this idea of going out in the woods with a couple shotguns? It was actually it was actually his dad who uh, was talking to me, and uh, he had mentioned that, uh, they do a family hunt uh, every basically Saturday after Thanksgiving. Go do some pheasant hunting. Uh, Britt, his brothers, his dad, and some other extended family and wanted to know if I wanted to come along. I had to explain that I don't have a gun. I've never hunted. I have nothing, no background. And so took me trap shooting, did some gun safety with me, and lo and behold, here I am today. <laughs> and that was when? Um, so that would have been four years ago, okay. Yeah, I think was our first pheasant hunt kind of family thing. Yeah, it was the first pheasant hunt was the year before I asked you to marry yes. Sam. Right. Yeah, we, we'd been doing this hunting for probably six, seven years before he came along. It was just like start out with just me and my brothers, my dad as a way to remember my grandfather after he passed away. Uh, and then it just slowly kind of developed into more and more people and we went from a group of six to we got into now about maybe... 10 to 15 we get that kind of rotate in and out and yeah father-in-laws my father-in-law my brother brings out his father-in-law as well some friends so yeah that is great so talk a little bit about that what what is that is it just going out for the day do you make it uh longer than that what what is uh what's the uh what's the event it's just typically a day hunt um start out in beloit wisconsin uh we knew this gentleman that had a field raised some caribou and elk and he had some pheasants in his field and he let us come up hunt uh, and then we moved over to Monroe, Wisconsin. There's a farm out there. Uh, because we have so many guys, we typically don't go uh, out on our own. We just we we go to a farm. <laughs> okay. Do the easy way. The, the easy way. It's um, more of a tradition when yeah. you've got a specific date like that than right. anything, right? It's the reason right. to get together. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, John, what uh, what did you think that first hunt and and getting your firearm safety you know at, at, at what age were you when you uh when you did that uh 50 okay yeah and actually I, i'm hooked because now i trap shoot and uh i Britton and i have been looking to do something just the two of us together and uh i've been a member of rgs for a couple years and i saw an ad in that uh, magazine and i asked him i said hey you know this would be a fun weekend do you think you can get away and lo and behold, we're here and we're having a great time. So prior to this weekend, had either of you gone grouse hunting before? No. no. Neither no. of you had mm-hmm. ever gone grouse hunting? No. Close I ever got was a picture. 
Okay. <laughs> so that is context. Give me a little bit of perspective on what happened. You arrived last night here at Grouse Camp or, or when? Yeah, we got into Eel River, what about? 4.30. 4.30, 5 o'clock. Uh, went and had some really good ribs over at Eddie B's. A uh, little shameless plug for them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, after that, we came in. Uh, came did the in, registration. Yeah, did the registration, came in. Met a couple of good guys and just kind of uh, called an early night on us. I think we were both asleep by like eight thirty nine o'clock yeah, in yeah. the hotel. <laughs> yeah, it was a long. It's a long drive from Milwaukee. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's probably uh, like how long? It's about four and a half hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. about the same as for me from the Twin Cities. So yeah. same type of drive. Yeah, it is a long one. And then uh, today we got here, had some great breakfast, listened to the talks, and uh, got hooked up with a really great set of mentors who took us out and uh we're celebrating with bourbon just yeah yeah Yeah. it was a fantastic day we want to give them a plug yeah trillium pointers yep that's their dogs yeah awesome yeah brandon and lane and lane Brandon Lane. what what kind of dogs do they have gsps gsps Mm -hmm. okay German short hair pointers right. for those who aren't familiar with the dogs. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And so tell us about the morning or excuse me, the afternoon. What um what happened? Did you did you get on the birds right away or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honestly, we were I mean we no more than get to the spot uh you know, when we park the cars, we get out, dogs get all ready, and we're no more than what, twenty, thirty yards in and one of the dogs is on point. Uh their dog Augie. Augie. Augie on point. And first one we see is a woodcock, and I'm like half in step, like gun in my gun in my left hand, and I'm a right hand shooter, like going through all this brush, like no clue what I'm doing, absolutely no clue. I'm just like they're like, there's a the dog, go find it. All right, <laughs> and there goes the bird. And that was so yeah, we got on them that first spot really quick. That was fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we probably over the next probably hour, hour and a half, flushed another eight probably. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we had a lo- we had wow. a lot of flushes today. And so woodcock and grouse? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Split pretty much evenly, half yeah. and half. Okay. What did you think? Do you, you know, first day hunting woodcock or grouse, right? You've mm-hmm. never hunted woodcock either. Nope. Um any any insights you have for the new hunters in terms of the difference between those two flushing? Oh, just those two? Yeah. <laughs> They're both very difficult. They're both fast. Yes. And you need to, because we hunt pheasant and you're in an open field. Yeah, it's very (laughs) very different. There's plenty of room to swing. Yeah. Now you're in a stand and it's packed. Yeah. And yeah. How was it? Were you in the middle of like thick young poplar? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Got a a lot of young aspen, a lot of poplar. It was. I felt like I was doing yoga around half these trees, just trying to like get in and out and move around. <laughs> well, that is great. So you guys think uh, you're going to uh, do some more grouse and woodcock hunting? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now, do either of you have a dog by any chance? No, I do not. I yeah. want one, but living in the city of Chicago, there's not a lot of room. Yeah. In the spring, I'm either winter, I'll either have a winter puppy or a spring puppy. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll be getting a German wire-haired pointing oh, griffon. Oh, griffon. Um, my brother's got a griffon. Yeah. We, uh, my wife and I, we talked about this, and we can't guarantee we're going to hunt with it. So, uh, but 
we are excited about the breed. We've seen the breed at yeah. some Pheasant Fest shows, and uh, we went and we visited some breeders out in West Bend, Wisconsin, spent the day, fell in love even more with the dog, and so either winter or spring puppy. You can't beat those bearded dogs. Oh. It's just a great look, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And they're supposed to be great family dogs, they great are. house dogs. Yeah. So, so yeah. we're excited about that. Well, congrats. Yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be fun. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing the story with us. And uh, congratulations again. I think it's so fun how you guys got into this in Britain, getting John yeah. out there. Um, that's, a, that's a unique story. And so congrats on, on a great day. And then tonight in the drawings, you got a, a print, yep. a rough grouse print, right? Yes, yes. And something else too. Yeah, I got a. It was a, I believe, the Woodcock print book. So just a nice book by. Uh, I don't remember his name, the gentleman's name, but uh, just a nice bunch of prints. One in the silent auction. Uh, it's kind of a, a gift to my father-in-law for getting me out here and kind of finding this and uh, doing his part. Wonderful. Well, I hope to see you guys again soon. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. I appreciate it. So that was the conversation with Britton and John, and and what I love about this one is sort of this reverse uh, mentoring or or introduction to hunting where Britain, who introduces his father-in-law to hunting, uh, which I think just goes to show that it's never too late to start hunting and anyone can be a mentor, anybody can be a new hunter. And I think also once you get into it, I think that it becomes just a community where it's it ebbs and flows. Some people are teaching, some people are learning. So that's, that's what I loved about that conversation. Yeah, I loved it too. I, I love the fact that here John is at age 50 and he's, he's going out there and learning how to hunt, you know, it's spending time with family, with his son-in-law and, you know, that personal story resonates with me well, Mark, just because I have a similar dynamic with my father-in-law. He worked six, seven days a week while raising my wife and her brother and, you know, grew up in a hunting family. But for many years, uh, for the better part of 25 years, he just didn't have time, you know? And so as he got older, my wife and I got together, got married. Um, he started getting back and interested in hunting. And so like that, that path of spending time with your family, your father-in-law, I just personally really liked that a lot. And I like John's, um, approach to just going out there and doing it. Uh, with his family. Yeah, I think, you know, community is is an important part of hunting. And it doesn't mean that you can't be a solo person. A lot of, a lot of people are, I think. But they are a good example of where those traditions that have been there for a while, some newer, some older, are an important part of the hunt. And, uh, and I think, you know, those guys and I and, and others have talked about how I think there, you know, might even be some aspects of where logistically there were becoming challenges with getting this group together. And so they were starting some new ones too. And, uh, and so while tradition is important, you can always create the new ones. And I think that's, that's really great to hear. So you're talking about the community aspect of it and the importance of that. And that is, that really is so important. And, you know, and what a community this is at Grouse Camp for the weekend here. We've just talked with, you know, we've talked about conversations that you've had with these, um, with these three conversations, right. And just like the overarching themes of spending time in the outdoors and embracing it and connecting with people of like mind 
and the bird hunting and the dogs. And so there's a whole lot of community around that. Um, I've really enjoyed hearing these stories. Um, and, and, uh, I think that what a group of people, what a great way to, uh, to bring some nice people together, uh, to build community around upland hunting. It must've been a great weekend. Yeah, it, re- it really was. It was, a, it was a really good group of people. Uh, it, it, it rained like hell on uh Saturday night and, and, uh, there was a tent outside they had set up and it was just this lake by the end of the evening, but, uh, everybody had a great time regardless of the weather. And, um, and it was fun to see new hunters, old hunters alike coming together and getting out in the woods. And, uh, I think it's a good, good example of that community. And so, We'll leave it at that for for this episode, but we got three more conversations and uh, we'll do those in the next episode. And uh, I think you're going to like those too. Looking forward to it, Mark. Uh, So thanks for, you know, thanks for everything. And uh, I appreciate being part of the conversation. Yeah, you bet, Todd. And for everybody else listening, uh, that'll be coming out soon, the next episode with those other three conversations. And in between, if you are new to hunting uh, please go to huntingcamp.live and check out the Learn to Hunt Upland Birds course, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.